0: Chapter 4 Blow a Strange Wind December came round again with the usual question. Would we or would we not get farewell orders? We did. Usually an officer stayed two years, but probably one was enough in a church like Hawera. Where to this time, we wondered. It was going to be a tiresome affair, packing boxes, "'when I had only six weeks until the birth of our second child. "'If only they would tell us where we were being sent "'at the same time as they told us we had to move. "'We were delighted with our appointment to the small town of Levin. "'It was a quiet town with a corps of sixty soldiers, "'quite an improvement on Hawera. "'We quickly settled into the life of the church, "'for it wasn't very different from other corps.' An army officer's life seemed to follow a set pattern, and we wondered if this would be the same. Great excitement at the new officer's arrival, with hopes of something exciting happening. But then, as the months went by, a restlessness, and sometimes a spirit of criticism set in. From then on, the soldiers began to look forward to the next change of officers." Frank was sure the frequent change of officers contributed to an instability in the church. Levin would be a church with a difference. The first event in the new church would be the Harvest Festival Appeal. The next, the birth of our second child, due ten days later. Frank had to spend hours collecting round the district to keep the church afloat financially. Gifts of fruit and vegetables were arranged for a display over the harvest weekend, and sold after a concert on the Monday night. At five o'clock that Monday afternoon, I knew our baby was knocking on the door, ten days early. "'I can't go to the concert,' he argued." You might need to go to the hospital before I get home. I'll get someone else to take my place. I'll be all right. I can send for you if I need you. He went to the concert while I checked my bag to make sure I had packed everything I needed for my visit to hospital. The baby decided to come much faster than I had expected. An hour into the concert, I sent for him. Because the baby was 10 days early, we had an unexpected drive of 13 miles to a hospital. Graeme arrived two and a half hours later. We studied our people. Amongst them, there were the Allisons, a mother and daughter who claimed to be spirit-filled, and a 70-year-old man who loved cricket and declared that silence always woke him up and his wife. These people, with Ernie Hill, his wife and two sons, who moved into the town soon after we did, influenced the direction of our ministry. They, too, claimed to have had an experience with the Holy Spirit. This Pentecostal business cropped up all the time. Obviously, it was an experience of great importance to those who claimed to possess it. About all I knew of Pentecostal churches was the custom of greeting each other with a holy kiss. My mind slipped back to Bible college, when there had been a discussion on Pentecostalism. This arose when we discovered that one of our lecturers claimed to be spirit-filled. Certainly there seemed to be something different about Kia Ora Tyler. Her preaching and Bible teaching were alive, but she didn't say much about her experience, although she told us that she believed no Christians need lose the glow of their first love for God. "'Lord, show me the truth from your word,' I prayed. I dipped into the promise box sitting on the windowsill. "'I shall guide thee with my counsel, and afterward receive you into glory.' Psalm 73:24 Satisfied that the Lord would lead me along the lines of army teaching and that I'd end up in heaven, I dismissed the whole thing from my mind. Frank knew less about it until those four Pentecostal people talked to him. Frank began to spend time praying in the quietness of the army hall. There he could cry out to God without being disturbed. One afternoon, he prayed late, unaware that dusk had fallen. Suddenly, a strange sensation swept through him. Overcome by fear, he rushed out of the hall, slamming the door behind him. Never had he pedaled his bicycle so fast as he did racing home that night. It did leave a deposit in Frank's life. He determined to call the church to prayer. I will ask as many people as can to join me at 6.30 a.m. every morning, he told me. Everyone might not come, but I am sure a a percentage will. Next Sunday, the week of prayer was announced to begin on Tuesday morning. On that optimistic note, we accepted the challenge. Within three weeks of our arrival, our second son was born. That over life settled into the usual pattern of visitation, collecting, meetings, and reports to headquarters. Every Friday, when headquarters mail arrived, Frank would, quote-unquote, resign. The church wasn't an easy one, but when we exchanged our bicycles for our shiny black Austin A40, we expected life to be better. The car was a miracle. Half the finance was the unexpected result of an investment we had made. The other half came from my parents. But that car was to bring us much anguish when accusers said we had used stolen funds to buy it. Before too long, we found ourselves at loggerheads with the whistling man without knowing why. He also happened to be the Sunday School Superintendent and a member of the Census Board, which looked after the business affairs of the Corps. Apparently, this man had wrecked other officers before us. Now it was our turn. He offered his resignation as Sunday School Superintendent. Without hesitation, Frank accepted it. His mouth fell open with shock. How dare this officer so much as think of replacing him? From then on, he made life totally unpleasant with his persecution. Not only did he whistle as he marched into the meeting, but he'd sit on the front row sometimes poking his tongue out, or he would show noisy contempt at statements made in the sermon. Amazing how such a man could preach like an angel in the open air. A continual battle began. Frustration and depression appeared once more as the blessings of Levin were swallowed up in this opposition. The scene for Frank's second breakdown was set. He left the army a failure in their eyes, and his own. The cold reality of our situation stared us in the face. No church, no work, no home the miracles we needed were round the corner, but we couldn't see them yet. In desperation, we accepted temporary accommodation with a friend. By the time we put enough beds and the babies caught in our one room, there wasn't much space for us. We could say we had shelter, and getting dressed, standing on the bed, developed our sense of balance. Frank, found outdoor work as recommended by the doctor by becoming a door-to-door salesman selling toiletries and patent medicines. He received plenty of fresh air, but not much money. The first Sunday after we left the army, we decided to go to Mount Albert Baptist Church in the next suburb. We'd often listened to the Reverend Cliff Ray on the radio, and we liked what he had to say. Besides, a phone call elicited the information that they had crèche facilities for babies. Our idea was to slip into the back of the church where we wouldn't be noticed. Somehow, it never occurred to us that the church might be so full that we'd find ourselves being marched up to the front seat right under the minister's observant eyes. It happened to be the monthly communion service, and for the first time in our lives, we partook of the bread and the wine. At that moment, God was very close to us. As the worshippers poured out of the front door, we slipped out a side exit. There was no escaping the Reverend Cliff Ray. He had someone waiting to detain us until he could come to greet us. That day, we found a friend whose compassion steered us through further troubled waters. Soon after this service, we experienced another miracle. We had been living in our one room for six weeks. Tempers were fraying rapidly. Frank was about to leave for work one morning when our four-year-old son did battle with the four-year-old daughter of the house. Now, Graham was the apple of his father's eye, and no one quarreled with him without repercussions. I knew our time to leave the room had come. Frank "'left for work in a dreadful frame of mind "'while I hung out the washing. "'As I pegged nappies on the line, "'I found myself crying out to God in absolute desperation. "'God, give us a house today. "'You know we can't stay here any longer. "'Please, God.' "'Before I'd finished my prayer, "'a telegraph boy came round the side of the house looking for me. "'Mrs. Houston?' he asked. "'I nodded. A telegram for you. My fingers trembled as I opened it. Telegrams usually meant bad news for us. This message was simple. There is a cottage for lease at Sunnyvale. If interested, please contact me. Signed, Clifford Ray. I marveled at the goodness of God when I remembered that he said, Before they call, I will answer. Of course we were interested. We said we would take the house without looking at it. Now we had one large bedroom, a large lounge, a small kitchen, bathroom facilities in the laundry, and a foul smell of cats. Later we were discover that the old lady who had lived there never let her cats outside for anything. It was heaven except for the smell armed with scrubbing brushes, plenty of hot water, and strong disinfectant, we soon dealt with that. Our half a dozen forks, two blankets, and old radio looked a miserable heap in the center of the lounge room floor. If we had put our finances beside them, that would have also looked pitiful. For the first time in our lives, we took out higher purchase to get mattresses to lie on. They could go on the floor meantime. Salvation Army friends supplied an old assortment of chairs and a table. Two big wardrobes divided the bedroom. The children slept one side, us the other. A sofa bed with sagging springs decorated the lounge room. We felt the richest people in town. Singing filled the house. The children had trees to climb and grass to run on, while father had room for growing vegetables. The Baptist church continued to be our spiritual home. When a baptismal service was announced, we decided we should attend the classes of instruction. Baptism by immersion was a condition of membership in this church. By now, we believed it to be the scriptural pattern for believers to follow baptismal sunday dawned fine and clear but the chill of a june winter day did not encourage a man with a raging fever to venture out frank had a dose of flu i left for the morning service feeling the devil was at us again reverend ray suggested we should wait until the afternoon before making a decision about the night's service "'I have never seen anyone suffer any ill effects as a result of being baptized,' he assured me. "'By the evening, Frank's fever had subsided. "'With a liberal sprinkling of one of his patent medicines on his handkerchief to clear his throat, "'and a little faith in his heart, we went to church.' In my excitement, I forgot to worry about what people were thinking concerning the strong smell of Raleigh's Ready Relief pervading the church every time Frank blew his nose. For the first time, I felt I was being obedient to the command of the Lord. Repent and be baptized, he'd said. When we sang, I'll go with him all the way, I really meant it. I stepped down into the water the church was filled with a light which blotted out the congregation and the sound of the choir singing. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. I was, and Frank seemed to be, "'but there was a snake in our Eden. "'The church made me so much at home "'that I was soon involved in its activities. "'With Frank, it was not so. Struggling still with disturbed emotions "'and the loss of ministry, "'he came less and less to church "'until he stopped coming altogether. "'This was a battle of another kind. "'Breakdowns I knew how to handle, "'but backsliding, no.' Prayer didn't seem to change a thing. Cliff Ray would remind Frank of the love and grace of God. Hadn't he preached about these himself? He had, but he could no longer believe them. I'd go on talking about the things God had done for us. In fact, I would go on talking because I didn't understand how anyone could preach the gospel and then suddenly not believe it. Nagging is the common title given to the habit. I schemed all kinds of ways to witness to him. If I had asked Christians to the house, Frank disappeared. His birthday was getting close. I'll buy him a set of choir records made at Billy Graham's Auckland Crusade, I decided. He loves music, and he enjoyed that crusade. But it didn't seem enough One morning, as I sat on our back steps, sipping tea in the spring sunshine, I cried to God in desperation, Lord, I've tried everything and nothing works. What shall I do? Instantly, I knew there was one thing I hadn't tried. God spoke clearly. Do nothing. Stop talking and leave him to me. But how could God work by any means other than a wife's preaching? Still, I would keep silent. After all, there was a church full of Baptists who could witness to the wanderer. God must have laughed at the narrowness of my vision. But I'm sure he was pleased with my obedience now what should i do with the records i bought did god mean i shouldn't give him those either it would be an awful waste if i didn't and i had no other present he would know why i had bought them yes i would give them to him if he smashed them and old 78s were easy to smash i'd understand Frank received his present gracefully. I felt he began to play them more out of respect for me than for the message they carried. One day I realized that one record was being played more than the rest. I found myself humming the tune while I meditated on the words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter, seed time and harvest sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. The words were etched indelibly in my memory as I meditated on them. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I clung to those words as a woman sliding into an abyss might cling to a rock. Frank was also thinking about them. God was speaking to both of us. About this time, he switched jobs. A dry-cleaning company needed a driver. I'm sure I've got the job, he told me. The work was mainly picking up and returning clothes to customers. We want someone who knows the Remura and Kamaki areas, the manager said. Frank's heart missed a beat. Those are the areas where I've been selling the Raleigh products, he said. The manager showed immediate interest, giving Frank all the details of hours and salary before he terminated the interview. Please, God, let it be so, I prayed as I thought of the holes in our shoes and the mounting debts. Within a week, Frank started the new job. God was leading us a step at a time. The children, and I still went to church on our own. If only he'd come, but changes were not too far ahead. He had only been on the dry cleaning run a few weeks when one of his customers handed him a Billy Graham track. Ever heard about Billy Graham? She asked him as he handed over her clothes. Sure, sure. I know all about Billy Graham. Sixteen people turned up. Some stayed a short while and went on to work. Others were able to stay an hour and a half, but all stormed the gates of heaven. A week later, the holiness meeting throbbed with power. While we sang a hymn, a young man dropped his hymn book on the floor as he moved out from his seat into the aisle, propelled by a hidden force to the altar, where he dropped on his knees. No one had made an altar call, nor said anything which might have brought conviction. This was the Holy Spirit at work. Others followed. If this was the result of prayer, the early morning meetings should continue. They did. Next Sunday morning was even more powerful. This time, the whole congregation was touched. There was no sermon, no altar call, yet the people flocked to the front. "'Frank burst into weeping. "'He turned to me and asked me to carry on. "'But I was also weeping. "'I turned to the organist. "'She was weeping. "'The Holy Spirit alone was in control "'as conviction swept the congregation. "'This was a totally new experience. "'We believed we were touching revival. "'Certainly it triggered something off in the town.' News of what was happening at the army spread from mouth to ear as fast as it could be told. One Sunday, a group of Methodists, walking past the hall on their way home from their own service, sensed an unusual power emanating from our building. They came in to see what it was all about. They were so blessed that from then on, they came in every Sunday night after their own service. I was upset when Frank woke up, utterly miserable with a soaring temperature, his body aching in every joint. Obviously, this had to be a day in bed. Usually, sickness turned him into a self pitying invalid, bored to tears with time dragging. This turned out to be four days of revelation one of our self-confessed Pentecostals brought him a book with the interesting title A Man Sent from God. Gordon Lindsay had captured what to Frank were amazing insights into the prophetic ministry of William Branham at the height of his ministry. From the moment he opened the book, Frank forgot to grumble about being sick. This man could tell people all about themselves, even to where they lived and their phone number. Isn't that marvelous? He said to me. Sounds like fortune telling. I was skeptical. But he also healed the sick and he gives scriptural references for what he did. Frank, don't get carried away with such things. I warned. You should read it for yourself. Not me. I don't like to read about stuff like that. Those things don't happen today. I closed the conversation and my mind, but Frank pondered the possibility of New Testament-type miracles in the 1940s. Tears touched his cheeks at the thought of the possibilities. Next Sunday's sermon contained references to the book. Statements concerning the possibility of Jesus healing without the aid of medicine stirred up some objections from the congregation. Ernie Hill latched on to every word. He had desperate need of healing. Before he had come to us from the north, doctors performed major heart surgery. His was only the second operation of its kind in New Zealand. The first patient died. The surgeon warned Ernie of the dangers, but at 52 he was desperate. Doctor "'You're a Christian, and I'm a Christian. "'How about we go ahead with it? "'I've nothing to lose if, as you say, "'without it I will die anyway.'" Ernie came through the operation successfully, but his activities were seriously curtailed. The family had moved to Levin to start life over again. His heart behaved normally for three months. Then he began to get pains in his chest and down his arms. "'The doctor's verdict was bad news. "'Ernie, there is nothing more I can do for you. "'I'm sorry. "'Doctor, how long do you think I have? "'I need to put my affairs in order. "'I'm not afraid to die, "'but I want to make provision for my wife and children.' "'Well, the arteries around the heart "'are hardening at an alarming rate. "'You have two months at the most, maybe less.' Ernie thanked him quietly. From the doctor's surgery he hurried straight to see Frank. Captain, ten minutes ago the doctor told me I can't live more than two months. I want you to come round tonight to anoint me with oil. I'll get some of the believing saints to join us, and we'll have a healing meeting. Frank was shocked. It was one thing to believe and preach about healing, but another thing to act on his preaching— It seemed that Frank couldn't avoid the issue. He decided he wouldn't tell me what he had to do. He didn't want any unbelievers there, and I was an unbeliever with a mind as tightly closed as a can of baked beans. By the time he arrived at the house, sixteen believing Salvationists had gathered. After some enthusiastic chorus singing... Sister Allison handed Frank a saucer containing oil. He stared at it. How on earth did you anoint someone? Should he sprinkle oil on Ernie's head, or pour it over him? He'd start by reading James 5.14. There was safety in that. If any of you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Not much instruction here. He'd have to do something. The Catholics would make the sign of the cross. Perhaps that would do. Frank dipped his fingers in the saucer and drew two oily lines in the shape of a cross on Ernie's forehead as he offered a prayer of faith. Without warning, the power of God sent them all reeling backwards. Ernie fell on the floor with a big smile on his face. When he'd scrambled to his feet again, he picked up a kitchen chair with his left hand, raising it high above his head, something he hadn't been able to do for months. Frank could scarcely believe his eyes. This was a spiritual dimension untapped by most Salvation Army officers he knew. When Frank went to visit Ernie three days later, he found him digging his garden. You might be interested to know that I've been gardening, fishing, and chopping the wood, and it's a while since I could do that. Ernie was 93 when his heart gave up for good. This forerunner of future events lent weight to the reasons some people gave gave for calling us Pentecostal. Two years in this church had almost passed. Our congregation now numbered 100. We found ourselves on the move again. The success of our leaven ministry gave us favor with headquarters. Perhaps our next church would be a good one. We found the Avondale Corps in suburban Auckland needed an infusion of life. That would be no easy task. But with 50 people at least, it wasn't as run down as the Hawera had been. Marion Austin thought her dry-cleaner man was a smart know-all. Still, she obeyed when she felt constrained to fall on her knees to pray for his salvation. She enlisted the help of two other women from her home Bible study to share the burden. Norma Smith and Rita Fogden were only too glad to join in the praying. One morning, Marion's 14-year-old son was soaked. When unexpected rain caught him on his way to school, his teacher sent him home to change. The dry cleaner man happened to be at the door. Marion introduced the two of them as Tony brushed past, leaving a trail of water behind him. A few days later, Tony was cycling to school when he saw Frank getting clothes out of the back of his van. It was one of those mornings when he was anything but happy. Tony wheeled his cycle round, stopping by the van. "'Good morning, Mr. Houston. You look miserable.' "'Do I?' Frank was startled. "'Who did this cheeky young pup think he was, to speak to him that way?' Tony followed up the attack, not caring what Frank thought. "'Do you know what you need?' he asked." I know what you need, Frank snapped, his ill temper erupting. Tony ignored the reaction. You need to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, he said. Unaware of Frank's background, he explained the way of salvation. God had Frank's attention now. He knew the best way to break through the morass of pain and disillusionment filling Frank's life. Then you are a Christian? The question was unnecessary, for Tony's shining face, as well as his words, declared the fact. Yes, I am, and I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Frank was startled by this confession. What church do you go to? he asked. The Assembly of God. You mean the one in Queen Street with the blue cross and Jesus Saves on it? That's right. Why don't you come with Dad and Mom and me next Sunday night? Frank was overwhelmed by the boy's audacity. He obviously had an experience rare in many adults. Dumbfounded by the boy's sincerity, Frank felt that he he was the boy and Tony the man. Yes, I will come with you. Frank was committed to an adventure which didn't please me at all.